and welcome to Nurturing Resilience. I'm Leisha Nelson. This is a podcast for cultivating connection, belonging, and safety through stories of triumph and post-traumatic growth, sprinkled with a little bit of magic. I am so glad you have joined me. Let's dive into today's podcast. I wanted to start out by talking about what is this podcast and why am I doing this podcast? It seems like these days podcasts are all the rage. This is what everyone does. They start a podcast and it's something that I've wanted to do for a while, but I haven't. I've just been holding back and waiting for the right opportunity. And at the beginning of the year, I finally received enough um, signals and messages from the universe and from friends that now is the time. This is is when we go. So it's not just any podcast. Really, this is a podcast about cultivating connection through storytelling. A little bit about me when I was going through graduate school as an occupational therapist, I ended up working for one of the professors as a graduate research assistant. So I essentially helped her with her research and I also had to do my own research as part of graduating from the program. So the research that I ended up being the most interested in and helping was what's called narrative style meaning it's, it's research through storytelling. And in research terms, some of you may have heard qualitative versus quantitative. So quantitative is really what's usually out there when you're reading research and finding the latest information. But there's this whole area of research on the other side called qualitative, which is really we're looking at the quality. We're looking at the essence and we're doing our best to put that into quantitative data. So what I was involved with was interviewing people that had sustained a spinal cord injury. And we were looking at those stories about what made it so that they could access the community again. I forget my exact research framed title, Um, but really, For those that access the community, why, how, what was that experience like? And it was during that time, I really fell in love with narratives. Narratives are a big piece for occupational therapists. It's how we get to know our clients. It's how we get to understand their lived experience. And after an injury or after a huge change, such as a spinal cord injury, How, as an occupational therapist, can we help them return to the life that they had before as much as possible while navigating those huge changes? That's done through interview. That's done through storytelling. Connection is done through hearing stories. And it really instilled this love of like asking questions, understanding people at a different level really understanding where they're coming from. So the other side of the research I was doing with this professor is she was looking at resiliency. She really wanted to dive deeper into 
if someone has a stroke, what is it about them? Is there something there that makes them more resilient? Why is it that some people have a stroke? And I don't mean this like lightheartedly, but essentially their lives are ruined. That's the perception versus someone has a stroke and they're still participating in the community, participating in their daily life activities. And she really wanted to study and understand what was it about certain people that made it after a huge change in their life that they were resilient. So here I am like 12 years later, diving into this resiliency again. And I've gotten there full circle after becoming a somatic practitioner, starting to really understand the nervous system. And we're going to dive into this today. Um, what is it? What is it that really, why do some of us like have this crazy life traumatic event and some of us heal and move on and some of us don't? And that is something I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in understanding people's stories. So this is a podcast about resilience. This is a podcast about talking to people, real life people that have experienced a hardship, a traumatic event, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, it's a traumatic event. And I'm interviewing the people that are on the other side. Most times when we interview people that are in the depth, like they're still navigating, they're still swimming the dark seas, so to speak, it's really hard to see the big picture when we're in the midst of healing. It's really difficult to see the point, if we're gonna make it, what's on the other side. And I know that there's so many of you out there struggling. The last couple of years have been really hard. A lot of our previous traumas that we might not have dealt with are resurfacing. And I know from talking to people and talking to my clients and friends and meeting people and reading the news, like I know that we're going through hard times. And for me, when I'm going through a hard time, what really helps me is to hear other people that have made it through, to talk to other people that have swam those dark waters, they have navigated it, and they're able to see it on the other side. They're able to understand like, okay, this hard thing, here's why I had to go through it, and here's where I am today. I know for me, when I hear those stories, I feel comforted. It regulates my own nervous system. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be here forever. I'm not gonna be in this dark space forever. There is this other side and there is a purpose or a reason unbeknownst to me at the time why I'm going through it. So the people I'll be interviewing, most of them are past the traumatic experience also understanding nervous system regulation and as a somatic practitioner, it really doesn't do a lot of good to tell a story when we're in it. It can actually elicit some more trauma. 
So also know that the people I'm interviewing have experienced big stuff. We're not talking little things here and not to compare anyone's trauma. But I do want to say that there will be trigger warnings on most of my podcasts because some of the information that we will dive into is not for the faint of heart. This is big stuff that people have navigated and I'm here to hold a space for them to hear their story and have their story be heard. I believe that leads to deeper connection, deeper vulnerability and more healing. It's a big part of nurturing resilience is to be able to share your story and be heard. And that's really what this platform is for. It's a space where people get to share their story and be heard, be seen and be witnessed. And it's a space for listeners to understand that you're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering. And that is one of the things that comes through when we're, when we're in these dark spaces is that we feel alone. We feel isolated. We think our experience is very unique and only us has experienced it. And on some level, there's truth to that. No one is like you. No one has been raised like you. No one has these exact stories as you. But there are similarities. And when we can find those similarities, that creates a regulation in the nervous system, creates a calmness. So this podcast is a platform for people to tell their stories and it's a way for you to know that you're not alone in your suffering and it does end. And that's a huge piece of resilience. So I wanna spend a few moments talking about what is resilience? Like what is this thing? Like what, why is this important? Why does this matter as far as regulating the nervous system and cultivating connection. So I have a few notes here. You'll probably hear me flipping through the paper because it was really important for me to share this information in a way that has some depth and makes sense to people. So research is still really developing and understanding what resilience is. For example, 12 years ago, I was studying it with my professor, helping her understand what is resilience. But when we do look at the research, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, a few factors stand out. We know when we look at children, and I believe that this is true for adults as well, but the research is done with children that what nurtures resilience? There's four things. A supportive adult-child relationship. So having a good relationship with some form of attachment uh, figure, whether it's a grandparent or a parent, some form of a, of a child-adult relationship. A sense of self-efficacy and perceived control. Understanding that like, especially as a child, that your world is not spinning out of control, that there is some sense of self-efficacy and control. The ability and to, or like the adaptive skills to regulate your nervous system. 
People that can regulate their nervous system have more resilience. We call this self-regulation capability. The fourth one is having some sense of understanding that there is a greater, larger picture. There's faith, hope, and culture supporting us. And this sense of like, there is something bigger than myself helping me through this process. What's interesting is when I did the research with my professor, that's what came through in our research was the the interview I was really looking at and had studied with her, um, that's what it came down to. He had this faith. He knew that there was this higher power, this source, and that is what helped him make it through his stroke and a devastating stroke. Like He was left um, with only the ability to use one side of his body but it was his faith and his belief in God, his belief that there's something bigger than us. So those are the four things that really lead to resilience, which leads to the idea that resilience comes from nurturing relationships. We are resilient when we have nurturing relationships. I wanted to say that again which also means developmental trauma and childhood trauma interferes with the ability to have resilience. That makes sense, right? We have a great childhood. We have a sense of self-efficacy. We have parents. We have great, you know, our co-regulation led to self-regulation. We're able to regulate our, our nervous system and we have a sense of faith and hope we're likely going to be moving through the world in a much better space. Shit's going to happen to us. And we're no, we know that we're going to make it. We're more resilient. Versus in the situation, unfortunately, that a lot of children experience today, they don't have an, a, a caregiver, like an attached caregiver that's offering them a good relationship. They might not have any control, right? Because they don't have that adult relationship, they're not having anyone teach them co-regulation versus self-regulation. And so they never learn how to regulate, self-regulate their nervous system. And there may not be a sense of faith or hope. I do want to say that I'm introducing my dog, Kiva. <laughs> Where I record these podcasts, I'm in my office and she hangs out with me and my desire is to have these podcasts be very natural, very, very natural, very organic, which means you will hear her snoring and shaking and moving. You're going to hear me drinking. You'll see me drinking if you're watching the YouTube video. Um, I'm not editing. This is just how it is raw and natural. I am just speaking, nothing's written down other than these few notes about resiliency. Like this is as raw as it gets, which is how I want this. So that's my dog Kiva, you may have heard in the background. Back to resiliency. So as a child, 
if you don't have those four things in place, if there's a lot of developmental trauma, it's going to be very difficult to be resilient. You grow up, life is hard. That's the, like the perspective is life is hard. Bad things are happening. And when bad things happening happen, it's really difficult to make them through. It's really difficult to understand that there's a whole other side. There's a tendency to get stuck and lost in the trauma itself. Some of the things that also lead to less resilience um, is a chronic feeling of not belonging. So again, as children, we're talking about like being bullied or families that that maybe don't nurture our individuality, there's going to be this chronic feeling like you're just not part of the family, you don't belong. So if that's the case, again, it's really difficult to regulate your nervous system, feel like you have a sense of control. So what is regulation? Why is that so important? <clears throat> Excuse me. Regulation is the ability to manage our emotions, calm ourselves during heightened situations. And to be able to do this while in relationship with other people. So not only on your own, if you're experiencing something yourself, but to be, to be able to also do this when in relationship to others, like during a fight, during an argument, do you have the ability to regulate your emotions and stay calm? Do you have the ability to even recognize when you've stepped into fight, flight, or freeze? And if you do, how do you move through that? All of that are aspects to regulation. Trauma, developmental trauma, plays a huge role in whether or not we can do that as humans. And I don't wanna dive into that today. I speak a lot of that on my Instagram, um, in my Facebook, and maybe I'll do a future podcast about it, about how trauma changes the brain. So, the more trauma we have, more often than not, than not, it changes our brain and it changes our ability to regulate our nervous system. So if there's in a, an inability to regulate your nervous system, it's not your fault. This isn't a like, oh, you don't have regulation, you don't have resilience. That's not what this is about. This is about starting to understand what are the tools? What are the ways that I can start to work with my nervous system so that I can learn to regulate myself because I know that this leads to more resilience. This leads to nurturing ourselves, nurturing our resilience. We learn regulation as children from our parents. It starts out as what's called co-regulation working with someone else to help us regulate our nervous system. Because as a newborn baby, we don't have the capacity or the capability to regulate our nervous system. 
Our brains aren't developed enough. Our nervous systems aren't developed enough. Our sensory system isn't developed enough. We're completely dependent upon our parents, completely. Co-regulation is foundational for neurosequential development of the child. Big words, right? What does that even mean? Neurosequential. It essentially sets the child up for the steps of the brain development to happen in the order that it's designed to happen. So the more self-regulated the adult is, the more co-regulated the child will be which is why it is so important for me as I teach these things about regulation, co-regulation, conscious conception, womb work, that we work on ourselves, we work on our own nervous systems before we have children. Because those children are gonna ramp up our nervous systems. But if we're not regulated, we're not teaching co-regulation to our children period. That co-regulation is what allows the child to neurologically develop. And eventually what happens with the appropriate resources and love and care and connection and safety and belonging as a newborn and, and these um, different attachment styles and we can go into that into another podcast as well. The more the child has that, the more co-regulation the child has. It goes from external to internal. It's more natural for the child then to step into self-regulation. Let me repeat that. The more regulated the parent is, the more co-regulated the child is, the easier it is for the child to become a regulated adult. And even before they're an adult. You don't have to like, I wish I would have been taught some self-regulating capabilities or tasks or tools as a child. My parents didn't know, no hardship on them. Their parents didn't teach them. This is all newer within the field of attachment, within the field of resilience. So we are more regulated adults by being more co-regulated children. And I believe this can be true for adults. I believe in neuroplasticity. I believe in nervous system plasticity, meaning nothing is set in stone. All of us have the capability to learn to come into emotional intelligence and a regulated nervous system state. All of us have that capability. Some of us might have to work at it a little bit more in order for it to happen because of our developmental trauma. All of us have the ability to be, to be like hold, whole regulated. So when we find relationships as adults that allow us to be in co-regulation, 
we will also have more self-regulation. You know those times when like shit happens and you're really upset. You go to your partner and you have a conversation or you go to your friends. They help you co-regulate your nervous system and things feel okay. We need both. Resiliency is about both. Does it feel safe? Can you co-regulate in relationship? That's why relationship is so key for me. Can you co-regulate in your relationship? And can you regulate alone? Do you have the capacity to do both? And if you don't, what, what do needs to happen? so that you can come to a place where both are happening. And again, not to say it's not easy. This takes devotion and time and commitment and self-compassion, God, so much self-compassion to get to these places. And I also wanna say it's not about feeling good or quote unquote, better emotions. That's not what this is about. This isn't about like always being happy because no matter what, life is gonna happen. Life happens. We can't control some big stuff that happens, right? So it's not about like, this is good and this is bad and we only feel the good emotions. No, it's about when I feel the bad emotions and when shit is happening, when I'm aroused, when my nervous system level is aroused and activated, do I have the ability to regulate it? That's what it's about. Again, going back to this co-regulation, with that comes this dance. And I love for me being that I've studied cranial sacral therapy for so long, I look at cranial sacral therapy rhythm as a dance. It's a wave, there's a high and there's a low, there's an in and there's an out. That's how our nervous system works. That's how our attachment styles work. They work in waves. Healthy bonding comes from coming and going, coming and going. So the more we can experience this dance with our caregivers, the more we can take that out into life and experience this dance in life. So again, connection. Co-regulation comes with connection. Connection allows us to grow and to heal. Connection allows us to build our resilience. If the social environment is chaotic and lacks this consistent feedback about safety or threats, it gets to be really difficult to differentiate between what is actually safe and what isn't safe. It gets really skewed in our minds. Children or those of you that had a very chaotic environment as a child, their brains are wired to attune more towards danger or like see danger in everything, like everything is not safe. 
And there's an inability to actually know within the body, like, am I safe or am I not safe? I don't know. Everything feels dangerous. And it limits our ability to actually to seek safety. So again, connection, allowing us to understand safe connection, connection with people that love you versus connection that's chaotic, allowing you to heal the part of you that feels this isn't safe, life isn't safe. That nurtures our resilience. So besides uh, developmental trauma, and having like a chaotic childhood. What other things can play into this? Because some of you out there might be like, yeah, my childhood was actually okay, but I have these symptoms. Like I have the inability to regulate my nervous system. So what's going on with me? <laughs> um, epigenetics. If you don't know that term, go Google it and go down the rabbit hole of epigenetics fascinating stuff. Um, usually it skips a generation. Not always, but when they shocked mice, uh, so the, the kind of the famous study that, that's going around right now that a lot of people are talking about is they shocked mice every time they smelled cherry blossoms. So the mice began to fear the smell of cherry blossom. Their little baby rats, their little babies, their children, and their grandchildren of the original rats were also fearful of cherry blossoms scent. Totally dysregulated their nervous system. So we're made genetically to pass on what is safe and what is not safe. And it made sense when we were um, gatherers and hunters, like don't eat those berries. We, we used to have a much greater connection to our bodies to understand like, this is good, this is bad. And that continues on. They have shown that um, children, grandchildren of grandparents who experienced the Great Depression have higher rates of depression. So epigenetics plays a role in how we feel and how resilient we feel, our ability to regulate ourselves. There's also prenatal and perinatal trauma. And I'm gonna add conception, like preconception, conception, time in utero, the birth, and right after. Like that whole journey, if something's going on in there, like think about medical trauma too for babies or births, that whole thing can lead to a dysregulated nervous system. Some of us might have an inability to interpret our sensations correctly. And I don't love the word correctly here. Um, I can't think of a better way right now to say that. But it means that I might feel something that isn't dangerous and is fine and safe, but my body the way my body, my internal landscape interprets it, interprets it, interpret it, <laughs> scratch that, the way my body perceives it 
is that it's not safe. It dysregulates my nervous system. My internal world isn't telling me things correctly about my senses. That's called interoceptive uh, dysfunction. There can also be social mismanagement or misattunement, which is like, you're just really not picking up on social cues all that great. And not that that's a huge issue, <clears throat> but if you're not picking up on those social cues correctly or misinterpreting them, that can lead to a sense of you feeling like you don't belong. You don't belong to your, to your social setting, your social environment. That's going to change how you perceive the world and your safety and therefore your resilience. So, so much of what I've said could be put into other topics of podcasts. This would be like a three hour podcast if I went in depth into each of these areas. So if there's something you're wanting to know more about, whether it's attachment or epigenetics, um, co-regulation, let me know. I'll do a podcast on it. I think the more that we know this information and understand it, the better. Leela Levinson said, telling our stories help us heal. And I spoke about that in the beginning. When we're able to piece together a traumatic story and form it into a narrative and we're able to share our narrative, that allows us to externalize the experience. And from a somatic perspective, from a body perspective, it moves the energy out of our body. And whether you want to move your energy out through movement and dance or your throat and your mouth, it does the same for the body. Telling our story allows us to be seen, to be heard, to recognize that we're not alone. The experience becomes shared. We're no longer in isolation. Of course, there's many aspects to consider when healing trauma, when regulating your nervous system. It's not just about telling your story. There's many other, many other pieces, many other ways. And telling your story is a very powerful way. Like I said, also in the beginning, it lets other people know like, oh my God, you went through that too? Like, wow, I'm going through that connection. And as we heal, as we grow, as we move through the experience, our narrative changes. The story we tell ourselves changes. The narrative becomes instead of like, this happened to me, this was horrible, um, I don't know, other narratives, life sucks. I'm never gonna get out of this. As we start to um, 
cultivate more resilience, let's say. There's a shift in our narrative where the story becomes more about the triumph. There's really interesting research on this. I'm not going to go into it. Um, about when the narrative is about you as the hero, those of us that have the ability to become the hero and recognize we're the hero usually, quote unquote, make it through the other side. We have more resilience. So as we tell our story, it allows this internal narrative to shift where you're like, I made it. I'm a fucking champ. Look at me be successful. And that allows even more healing, even more growth. When we share our narrative and we start to shift our narrative to the hero, we're able to cultivate more curiosity and self-compassion, more compassion for other people. There's a willingness to be more, to like explore reach out to others into the world. And we start to include words like safety and connection in our story, in our narrative. So just pausing to make sure I've said everything I've wanted to say. I think it's important to highlight again that um, the following podcasts are real stories. They're real people. These are real situations. Some of what you might hear and who I might talk to to share their story have gone through hell. Please, if you are in a really activated state and, and everything will be approached with love and caution and curiosity, um, but no, Know that these stories are our life, the life that's always happening. Please also know that um, <clears throat> in human design, if you're acquainted with human design at all, I'm what's called a generator. Meaning that I love responding. So if you have questions for me or podcasts you want me to do, people you want me to interview, you would like to be interviewed to share your story, please reach out to me. I'm here. I am here to hold space for your story to be heard, to help you cultivate some resilience. Know that I, I'm here. That's what this is about. Um, there is no schedule for this podcast. So I'll put out these podcasts as I interview people. That's the flow of life force energy. We just ride it and we go with it. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me today for episode number one. Woo -woo. Episode number one, check feels really good. Yeah, I'm going to go celebrate myself now and um, do a little happy dance even. 
that episode one is recorded. And thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to sharing my future interviews and personal stories and nervous system information with you moving forward. Have a beautiful day.